This is The Guardian. I'm Rejid Ahmed coming to you from Ganigaland, and this is the full story. It was a rare and unexpected call from the Maori king. Kingi Tuhaitia, the Maori king, is calling for a national hui to unify the nation and hold the government to account. Earlier this month, 10,000 Maori leaders and tribal representatives came together in a show of strength and solidarity. Pouring in from every corner of the land, every seat, every space, filled by a crowd of more than 10,000. Against what they say are new attempts by the recently elected Conservative government to wind back Maori rights including scrapping health initiatives and minimising Maori language use in the public service. Changes some have described as racist. We have a government that is so anti-Maori and displaying all the traits of typical white supremacists. Accusations the government rejects. We believe we can persuade New Zealand that this is a good idea that will unite New Zealand. The government also wants to review the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, a treaty that is so often held as a beacon of hope for First Nations people around the world. If there is any measure of meddling with the Treaty of Waitangi, Māori will not sit idly by. So on the eve of Waitangi Day, what's at stake for relations between Māori and non-Māori in New Zealand? Today, are Māori rights under threat? It's Monday, the 5th of February. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Kia ora, my name is Eva Corlett and I am Aotearoa New Zealand's correspondent for The Guardian. So, Eva, we have a new coalition government in New Zealand. It's a big change of style from the former Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, and part of what they're proposing are policies that directly impact Maori. Can you talk me through that? Last year, New Zealand voted in this new government, and that's made up of the major centre-right national party, which is led by Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. And then he's got his two coalition partners, which are the Libertarian Act Party, and that's led by David Seymour and the populist New Zealand First Party, led by Winston Peters. So a big shift from Ardern's era. And the direction of the government as a whole, it is uh, really playing into that centre-right playbook. You've got tough on crime, rollback of public services, tax cuts. But where we're seeing that major controversy is around its direction for Māori. And so their plans include things like scrapping the Māori Health Authority, minimising Māori language use in public service. So we've already seen public services reverting back to their English names first. And then we're seeing repealing of legislation that's designed to prevent 
things like the removal of Maori children from their families, um, repeals of anti-smoking legislation, which would have led to better health comes for Maori. Then on top of this, we have got um, a, a huge discussion and debate happening around the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Tiriti or Waitangi, which is New Zealand's founding document. And that is really being pushed by ACT Party's David Seymour, and as part of National's agreement with ACT, has agreed to open the door for debate on those principles. All those policy changes that you describe, they don't sound like minor changes. They sound incredibly consequential. Yeah, and I think there's a huge amount of alarm within the community, um, particularly within the Māori community, that what these changes seek to do is unwind decades of progress for Māori well-being and the place of Māori language, Māori culture uh, within New Zealand society. I am Professor Margaret Matu, a Professor of Māori Studies at the University of Auckland and Chairperson of Te Runanga Aiwi o Kahu, My Nation's Parliament. So, Professor Mutu, what's your reaction to the government's proposed changes? So, the, there are a list of maybe between 20 and 30 policies that have been agreed to in the two coalition agreements that are quite clearly aimed at stripping Māori, not only of our identity and our recognition within law, but also stripping us of rights that we have very slowly clawed back over the last 50 years. And to see those all stripped back by an exceptionally right-wing government is just extremely disappointing. Some of the changes they're talking about is targeting the Treaty of Waitangi, which is quite a famous document. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about uh, those changes and what you think of them? So what you have is the Treaty of Waitangi, but we in um, in this country refer to the treaty itself as Te Tiriti or Waitangi because it's only the Māori language version or the Māori language document that uh, holds any weight. There are two documents. There's an English document that was a, a preliminary draft uh, that was then translated into Māori. The preliminary draft sought to have Māori cede sovereignty over the country. And however, when it was translated into Māori by the missionaries, they knew that if they translated that into Māori, you were asking the leaders of the tribal groupings to give up all their power and authority that is derived originally from the gods, and that was effectively a declaration of war. And so they did not include it in the treaty. What was included in the Māori language treaty was a confirmation of a declaration of independence or declaration of sovereignty that had been issued five years before. The treaty is about delegating to the Queen of England responsibility for keeping control over the Europeans, the British, who were either here in the country, and there were less than 2,000 of them at the time, uh, and those about to come. And that was all that the treaty did other than confirm the earlier declaration. It did also promise that the Queen would ensure that Māori came to no harm 
from her people coming into the country and that we would have access to British culture, British law in the same way that the Europeans did. It was, it is a treaty of peace and friendship. And that's what we want to reinstate. However, you get to today and you've got a government now that wants to claw that all back and return New Zealand to the white New Zealand policy that was in place until the 1960s when you had the United Nations Convention on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. What it has in the proposed bill was that the Crown would have authority over all New Zealanders. There's no mention of Māori at all. The idea is now that there are some seats reserved at the table uh, because of your background being Māori. Now, that is a real problem. What David Seymour wants to do is to introduce a bill that seeks to redefine what these principles of the Treaty of Waitangi should be. And the reason he wants to do this is that he argues that these principles give people different political rights based on birth. And he's campaigned on what he calls ending division by race in New Zealand. If you have some seats reserved at the table that you can't vote for, then you have public institutions that are not democratically accountable, and that has the potential to be catastrophic for New Zealand. And this is something that he says is is a dismantling of democracy and gives Māori bigger say in political decisions. And so initially he wanted a referendum on this, but uh, Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has not agreed to this. He said that he thought this was divisive policy. The government has no plans and never has had plans to amend or to revise the treaty or the treaty settlements that we have all worked so hard together to achieve. The government will honour the treaty. And I mean, what's interesting about this is that both National and the other minor coalition party, New Zealand First, have only agreed to support this bill through to the first reading. So, I mean, the bill could be dead in the water, but what uh, New Zealand First has also done is that it has negotiated a review of all legislation that refers to the principles. What has happened is the architect of this has picked phrases out of the Māori language treaty, mistranslated them, and then said they apply to all New Zealanders instead of the very clear distinction in tichiriti between what belongs to the British immigrants coming into the country, where Māori sit within that as in complete control with their power and authority retained, and then us having access to British law being misinterpreted to there will be one law for all. Māori have to be recognised as the Indigenous people of this country and that we have rights under our treaty. And those rights amount to the fact that, for example, when anyone wants to do anything in our territories, they have to come and talk to us first. If this legislation gets through, that will all be gone because you will no longer be allowed to be recognised as being Māori in the legislation. So that bill will then be applied over several hundred pieces of legislation to remove any mention of anything Māori anywhere. It is a denial of our identity completely. Why do you think they've chosen this moment to do something like this? 
you've had right-wing elements in this country for a while, but I think what's happened here from a, just an ordinary New Zealander's point of view, some older Europeans who have never had anything to do with Māori in their life, and there are quite a few of them. There are also quite a few Europeans, I will hasten to add, who have worked closely with us, married into us and all sorts of things. They know us quite well. But you have those who have had nothing to do with us. And they're starting to see us climbing out of the poverty, climbing out of the deprivation, and now starting to become highly educated, very articulate. They now hold professional positions. They, a lot of them run their own companies. But we do so from within our Māori culture. When I grew up, it was shameful to be Māori. And that's how a lot of those Europeans see us, as it's shameful to be Māori. But you've got a generation now, the youngest generation, who is very, very proud to be Māori, who speaks the Māori language. And I think these older Europeans are frightened of it. And therefore, they want to preserve their little world where they're in charge of it, where the world is only a white world. This is white supremacy. There's no question about it. Well, the government has uh, responded to those allegations of white supremacism. They have uh, rejected that characterization, uh, and they talk about delivering outcomes for everybody. That That's their argument. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen next, do you think, amongst Maori communities? How will they counter... Uh, this shift in government policy? So at the moment, the National Iwi Chairs Forum is looking very carefully at this because the biggest thing holding us back from making our own decisions about our own lives, and that's all we've ever asked to do, is our poverty and the lack of resources. So the first thing we want to do is to be much more determined to recover the resources that were stolen off us so that we can get on with making our own decisions about our own lives and just looking after ourselves instead of always being dictated to by European bureaucrats who really don't have a clue about us and about what works for us. But the other thing that is also becoming very clear is that there has to be constitutional transformation in this country. Now, this bill uh, is a very strong constitutional measure, and yet there's been absolutely no discussion with anyone, and the ones most impacted, of course, are Māori. But Māori have been conducting in-depth discussions now for 14 years over the need for constitutional transformation in this country. When you say constitutional transformation, you're talking about New Zealand actually getting a constitution. Is that right? Yes. Now, (laughs) where I come from in the north, we are very, very clear that we already have a written constitution. And that's that declaration of independence and sovereignty. And then the treaty, which is effectively an addendum or a codicil that was added on, that is our written constitution, which no government has ever recognised or adhered to. So 
What we have asked for is a national conversation about how to move to a point where we either have a written constitution that is recognised or we have a constitutional basis that the whole country agrees to. That's the ideal. Of course, we're probably never going to get to that ideal, but that's how Māori work. We do things by consensus. So we've been asking for this conversation. We'll be right back. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So Eva, obviously a lot of people within the Maori community are very exercised, very concerned about the changes that the new coalition has flagged. Can you give us an idea of how the situation is for Maori in New Zealand? Uh, There's absolutely a long way to go. There are huge inequalities that exist between uh, Maori and Pākehā. That's the word for European New Zealanders. I mean, Māori are overrepresented in many, many of the negative statistics. They are less likely to own their homes compared to Pākehā, hugely overrepresented in the prison population. Māori children are five times more likely to be in state care, have lower school achievement. Meanwhile, Māori across ages are more likely to be affected by health issues. So given all of the statistics that you're describing, that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done... Where is this push coming from to perhaps undo some of the progress that's already been made? Why now? I mean, I think within the wider context and history of New Zealand, race-based discourse is not a new thing. I think off the back of Jacinda Ardern's government, we're seeing a little bit of a reaction to her style of governance. Uh, so Ardern came in and immediately stood out for her clear, calm, compassionate style of communication. And she was hugely popular for it, particularly as it stood in really stark contrast to the style of politics we were seeing coming out from the US, from the likes of Trump or Boris Johnson in the UK and so on. But There was a sense that as time went on, domestically, the sort of um, brand of politics of kindness was really just masking an ineffectual government that was too slow getting policies across the line, despite the enormous mandate it had. And then on top of that, you had a cost of living crisis, a feeling of post-pandemic malaise, a, a kind of a global sort of reaction against perceived woke politics, which New Zealand was not immune from. Um, and so what I think has resulted is this sort of pendulum swing back to the right with a prime minister who has promoted a very sort of managerial style approach. But I, I don't think it's that New Zealand's necessarily uh, shifting super right. I, I think that you, you kind of only need to look at the showing 
that left-wing parties such as the Greens and Te Pāti Māori had in the last election. I think this is probably more about, about a vote for change. So you've said you don't think New Zealand is necessarily shifting to the right, but what has been the reaction to David Seymour and a lot of his language around Maori policy from the non-Maori community? Are you seeing people rise up from from those communities and and being concerned or is he getting some support? I think it's a really mixed bag when it comes to non-Maori and particularly from Pākehā communities. So I think, you know, there are particular splits that are happening within um, non-Maori communities. But that said, there are many non-Maori who are incredibly alarmed and uh, are, again, concerned that it is going to wind back decades of progress both for Māori and progress for that relationship between Māori and the Crown. So what happens next? Where do you think this is going to go? So the big thing to look out for is Tuesday, February the 6th. That's Waitangi Day. And Waitangi Day, it's where people come together to mark the signing of the treaty and the formalising of that relationship between the Crown and Māori. And I think this is going to be a particularly interesting one to watch because there's a lot of heat that is being generated. So I think we're going to see a Māori and non-Māori come out in force to make themselves heard to this government about their concerns. And, you know, it's, it's particularly interesting because you've got the Crown and Māori meeting at the place where that relationship was first formalised, meeting to honour that relationship, and at the same time, the very document that bonded that relationship is now being questioned, debated and threatened. So, Professor Mutu, this must be a very frightening time then, uh, given the scale of the changes discussed. But has it essentially spurred people on to push towards equality? Has that been the reaction? It's, it's really fired up communities. I don't know that it's fired up communities to equality. What it has done is it's fired up um, Māori communities to say, we have had enough of this racism. We've had enough of being deprived of what is rightfully ours. And the most outspoken and clear visioned about this are our young people. They just will not put up with the racism that my generation put up with, that my children's generation put up with. The younger generation doesn't want to know. They are very practical and they just want to get on and do it. So it has really motivated our people, but the the two major gatherings that we've had have tried to steer away from the anger and to harness this determination of our people to escape colonisation. And the young ones are well on the way. That was Margaret Mutu, Professor of Maori Studies at the University of Auckland. 
We heard earlier from Eva Corlett, Guardian Australia's New Zealand correspondent. To read more, head to the Guardian website or post links in the show notes. That's it for today. This episode was produced and mixed by Camilla Hannan. The executive producer of Full Story is Hannah Parks. I'm Regid Ahmed, and we'll be back with another episode of Full Story tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.